Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. Joining us is Rockets expert Frank from Rockets Chop Shop. And Frank, great to see you, especially after the Rockets blew out the best team in the Western Conference. What about that? Yeah, that was a good game. Good game. One of, um, I think, maybe four or five feel-good wins that we've had this season and gives you a, a preview of what the team could possibly be. Um, in the future, if they actually try to play hard a full entire game, it was a uh, uh, everybody kind of lended to the winning. Coach Silas didn't, uh, you know, piss the game away by uh, subbing in a non-shooting lineup to close the third and start the fourth. So I think to me, I put a tweet out that said this game is going to be decided by the team that starts the fourth quarter for the Rockets. And it took three years, but we finally got a um, a fourth quarter started with Jalen Green out there um, with with some guys that that could actually score. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what's better, the Golden State lineup of death from a few years ago or <laughs> Dacia Nix, uh, Josh Christopher, Garuba, Garuba uh, Boban sometimes in there. Yeah, with the Boban lineup. That's the if if that's uh, if the Warriors had the death lineup, that would be the revival lineup because <laughs> whatever the opposite of, of the Warriors lineup is. But you would think, is he doing that on purpose or does he really think in his basketball basketball mind that this is like the way to go. I've heard coaches are really married to their rotations that you have to pry it away from them. So maybe he was just experimenting. Abdel Fattah begged him for two months and he finally did it on the last home game, possibly uh, his last home game, but uh, we'll see. But I, I like the game. It was an enjoyable game and all the more fun seeing uh, Jokic because I'm, I'm a big, I, I, I do support Embiid as the MVP. So um, I do enjoy getting to see the contrast of Embiid dropping 52 on the Boston Celtics while Denver's uh, getting blown out by the Houston Rockets. Yeah, and just for people out there, they're like, oh my God, we just beat the best team in the West and I'm so excited. You just watch every single one of these teams come in, Frank, that is way better than the Rockets and they just don't look like they're interested. They're, they're like, we're going to just, exactly. we'll not try for the first three quarters and we'll pull it out in the fourth quarter. And most of the time it works and then sometimes this happens. I literally said that yesterday. Like what I've noticed, especially the good teams, they think that, they could just kind of cruise and turn it on. It's a night-to-night thing. There's sometimes where those teams are coming and beat the brakes off of us. It'll be close at half. It's always close at half. And then all of a sudden, third quarter, that lineup I said comes in, and it's like a 20-point game, 30-point game. But there are some nights that you get throughout the season where the guys actually play the full game and try the full game. We hit the teams in the mouth, and before they know what's going on, they're in a dogfight, and it's really hard to ramp up in one quarter in the NBA. I don't care if you're playing the Rockets or you're playing the, you know, the 2018 Warriors. It's really, really hard to like, once a team gets you and momentum is a big, big thing. And uh, the Rockets were just cooking and the shots started dropping and guys started getting comfortable. And, you know, Shangoon, Tari and Jalen were playing really, really well um, throughout that game. And I really enjoyed that game. That was a really, really fun game to watch uh, for this season. One of it would be top three fun games for me. Yeah. Speaking of, Teams getting up for the Rockets and the Rockets getting up for teams. Let's flip the script a little bit because Jalen Green said this quote, and I want to get your response. He said, we've got most of our wins against the best in the NBA right now. That's when we play at our best. That's the hope for the future, unquote. That just means they have talent. It doesn't mean anything. Talent is nothing. I mean, there's a lot of teams with talent. It doesn't matter who you get up for. What makes a good team or a good player is night-to-night consistency. And I think that's for him individually. That's the next step for him. It's cool that he can have stretches, but for him to break apart from 
the cohort and be one of those guys in his cohort in this class and in the young group of players that are in the NBA, he has to be that guy like on a, uh, on a night to night basis. And for us to make that step, you can't go through a month stretch of just being one of the worst defensive teams in NBA history. Like we can't do this where it's back and forth. I love the highs, but let's do that every night. Like let's start the season like that and close the season like that. And you may lose, you may only win 30 games or 35 games, but just have some pride and professionalism about their approach to the game. Then we'll be doing something. But I think the stat about them beating like all these good teams. Yeah. Okay. What does that mean? Nothing. You know, are you going to beat any of them in a playoff setting? Are you in the playoffs? No. In the same breath, we've lost to a lot of terrible teams. So what does that say? Actually, you have more losses to bad teams than we've beaten good teams. So for him as a player, I would be okay with them like using that as a, hey, we can hang on to this going into the offseason. And I think it's good. You find the little victories to motivate you to keep getting better. But if you take a big picture view, it's cool, but it doesn't really mean nothing in the grand scheme because, yeah, what can you do for an 82-game season? That's what we need to see next season for these guys. Uh, it's going to – Robert, it's about to get real. I know we might touch on this a little bit. A lot of people are starting to, you know, oh, yeah, I feel bad for Steven Silas or this and this. The NBA is a business, buddy, and and at the end of the day, people lose their jobs and get paid off of decisions that are made. The Rockets have been incentivized to be bad, and now, by their own account, they're going to try to be good. And when you're trying to be good, things get real. And whether it's for players or personnel, people are going to get moved, and, and decisions are going to be made that are going to impact people's lives. So um, I think the fan base needs to prepare for that reality that's about to uh, hit us uh, in a few months. Yeah, I just want to go back to what you were talking about before because it was, it was literally right in my notes here. You talk about guys getting up for certain games. Well, Shane Goon gets up for the Jokic games. We've seen Jabari get up for Giannis earlier this year. I've seen Jalen noticeably get up for a certain player, a team like the Lakers, for example. Part of what's made this season so frustrating, Frank, is we know the ability is there. It's more about bringing that chip on your shoulder every night. Uh, funny enough, John Lucas just posted a tweet. Uh, this morning saying that um, you can't find a coach in the NBA that can bring effort out of people every night. That's prerequisite to play. So um, I don't know, weird tweet, but he's always having these weird tweets. But the point is that even though you can't have a coach that can get it out every night, that is the job of the coach. On the Chop Shop, we, uh, you know, me and uh, James Piercy um, did a podcast talking about Nick Nurse and his tenure in Toronto. And one of the fans uh, from the Raptors commented on my tweet about it um, saying that Nick Nurse is not a coach that we would fit Houston because he benches guys. And he even he even uh, gave an example that one time he benched uh, Scotty Barnes three minutes into a game. I'm like, bring it on, brother. That's what I want. Like, if you don't have to make guys give effort every single night, but if you're not going to bring it, sit down. That's cool. You could you could be turn on for Jokic and you'll play that game. But if, if you're not going to bring it the same effort for Luka Garza, or I don't know who some D-League center is that you're going to be playing on some bad team, then you're going to ride the pine. And that's where we just need accountability and structure, especially for young guys. If you can drill that into them early that, hey, I need this effort from you every single minute. And if you can't bring that, I'm going to put somebody that will, then they'll learn. And over time, because that's what it takes to be professional. You're competing against LeBron James, the Embiid's, Giannis. Those guys don't take plays off. Like, that's the standard that we we are trying to get to and and one thing that I see is people compare us to bad teams. Like, well, they're doing this over in Orlando. Then I'll be like, what about Oklahoma City? Well, you know, they're good. Are we trying to win championships? Or do we want to be like the Orlando Magic and be 
a 30-win team for a decade. The bar to be good in the NBA is hard, and it's not easy for anybody. That's why it takes a lot of hard things for us to do and a lot of high expectations. And I'm not going to shift my expectations for our guys because I know I've seen what it takes in the NBA, and it takes, like, guys have to be bought in every single night, and Coach Silas is just not pushing those buttons. On accountability, and as you were talking, I was just coming up with this. Would you rather have Draymond Green at $30 million a year for the next three years, for example, or James Harden for a four-year max because Draymond Green brings that accountability and he might be the culture changer that you really need instead of James Harden, who doesn't really bring the culture of, like, go out there and you need to do your job and you need to try hard and you guys got to play defense every night and this is what you do to win a championship. Oh, man, that's a tough question. Because to me, the James Harden thing makes sense in a two-year sample. Now, when you get into the third and fourth year, it gets a little funny. The train on 30 million is a lot for him. Um, not, not not with the new uh, collective bargaining agreement. I think that well, money true, is going to seem true. more like 20 million. Like the 20s. I would love to bring Draymond in. Um, I think that the three years may sell me on that. I just don't know, honestly, for Draymond, what his impact is outside of Golden State. In a vacuum, like, I would love to bring him in. But I just feel like as far as impact on the entire team, even though James Harden is not like a a leader rah-rah, I think he can impact a lot more of our players by his play and on the court and help them develop faster on the court than a Draymond can with his stuff off the court. Because I feel like you could still supplement what Draymond brings by bringing cheaper, much, much cheaper player on shorter contracts. My only problem with the Harden contract, uh, the four-year max that he's going to get, is the fourth year, honestly, (laughs) because that overlaps with Jalen Green's first year. Actually, his third year overlaps with Jalen Green's first year as a uh, on his uh, rookie extension. And you probably assume Jalen's probably going to be that designated rookie, right? So that we have on our roster. So that's in this new CBA, that's probably 40 million. So you have uh, Jalen on a $40 million contract. You have uh, Harden on a $50 million contract. Let's say we do sign Jabari. That's going to be on James's last year. And with this new five-year, and we're going to talk about the CBA, one of the things is you can give a guy a five-year contract without them being a designated or, or um, like the, the, the rookie max, the super max for the rookies on just a regular five-year contract. And I think that's where Jabari is going to slot into. You're looking at probably 120, 130 million tied up in three players. And one of them in 2026, 27 is going to be James Harden that probably is unplayable when you're trying to make the playoffs. He's not going to be good defensively. Dude's going to be damn near 38 years old. That's scary, man. And that's $50 million, pretty much of dead money. I don't care what type of play playmaking people tell me he's going to bring. If the Rockets are going to be in the playoffs in 26, 27, or whenever that is, the dude is not going to be that much help. So the way I look at it, if I can get some guys, hell, maybe even a Draymond, maybe bring a Pat Beverly, some guys that could do some of the stuff Harden does, but on a lower level, but they're on shorter term contracts and I can move off of them when I'm ready to compete instead of $50 million for James Harden. Maybe there's another Jalen Brown type of player available that looks at our team and say, the Rockets have been to the playoffs three years in a row. I want to go there. Then that's where you build towards a championship. But I don't know, man. I, I That's a real hard answer uh, thing to answer. I would say short term, I'd like James Harden, but in, that, that three-year contract for Draymond sounds really, really good. Yeah, I just find it funny when people are like, well, Donovan Mitchell 
There's going to be another Donovan Mitchell available. There's going to be another Jalen Brown. These are these guys are top 10, top 15 clutch players. They've done it in the playoffs. Like these guys, like the fact that these guys grow on trees, I think is just uh, a ridiculous thought by Rockets fans. And it just, I just feel like that stuff has got to get out of your head. You you talked about the new CBA NBA just uh, passed. And I want to get your thoughts, but just a quick reminder to our fans to subscribe and comment on YouTube or listen on the run by subscribing on your favorite podcast app. But Frank, this new CBA, I think it have a positive impact on the Rockets. The rules they set in place helps teams that draft well, keep their players. And most importantly, it won't allow for as much of the overspending by the owners and teams with more money. That's the Rockets who aren't exactly a small market, but as we've seen, Tillman Fertitta doesn't have the money of Steve Ballmer or Joe Sy, for example. I guess their goal, it seems like, was to make the league uh, more competitive across the board and uh, to have more parity, you know, amongst teams. Um, I still think that the the teams with money are still going to find ways to um, have an edge over teams that won't pay um, as much. The things that apply to the Rockets, uh, that to me, that I really like is the fifth-year option on the rookie extensions that are non-designated. I think that's a really important one. I also think that the um, – I forgot which one of the exceptions, I think is the room exception. Um, that they expanded fourteen. I think it went up by like ten or twenty percent or something like that. Well, here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw throw a little water on your that the rich teams are gonna figure out how to get around it. They they're taking away that stuff. And you talk about the fact that you are now allowed to sign five year rookie extensions instead of four right. years. Well, a lot of these teams that have all this money have taken their first round picks and thrown them in the trash. They've given them away. Uh, and and the Kevin Durant deal for Phoenix and the James Harden and the Kyrie Irving the the, the deal for with the Rockets for getting James Harden for the Nets, the what the Lakers and, and the Clippers have. A lot of these teams have given away first-round picks that would be rookie contracts. So that's going to be big for Jalen Jabari and whoever the Rockets draft this year. Say they draft Wemba Yada or Scoot. Plus, they've taken away the limit of two max contracts per teams. So if you land Scoot this year, for example, the Rockets could have Jalen Jabari and Scoot all on max deals down the road. That is true, but at the end of the day, what separates the good and the bad teams is coaching, um, it's going to be the some of the extras. And that's what I mean. Not within the C, uh, the CBA. It's going to be within everything else that isn't tied to the CBA. And I think that's where a lot of the edges come in. Who can pay for the best coaches? Who can pay for the best executives? And all these extra things that these guys with deep, 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 deep pockets are able to do compared to teams that are smaller market that have to hit the on the draft. And I think that's where I meant by that. Within, you know, the NBA could try to do as much, but a big market team is always going to have an edge. Because usually the big market teams are owned by big market owners that are, you know, tech giants or whatever consumer goods. So, yeah, that, I, 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 yeah I, I get what you're that. saying. But like, let me just I'll throw, throw an example out at you. Um, OK, we, 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 we all you just said it. Pay, pay more money for coaches. You can go out and pay whatever you want to. for. There is no limit on what you can pay for coaches. But these right. big market teams, they go out and they spend a hundred or two hundred million dollars in tax money extra. You know, there's all this money, hundreds of million dollars that a Golden State or a Brooklyn is going to pay extra in tax money. Whereas if you're the Rockets, you don't have to give a hundred million dollars extra per year for a coach. But if you gave a, a, a head coach that you really love, you, you went out there and grabbed a head coach from another team and said, hey, look, I, I know you're on a great team, but we're going to pay you an extra $10 million a year. Well, that's a big deal for a head coach. You know, that's that can rip a, a really good co head coach away from another team, for example. I think this conversation is brought to my head. That may be the next frontier of 
the edge is like these coaches' salaries are about to go up crazy because right. that might be the 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 extras to get what they want. That, once again, that's a good point. I just feel like with, between the players, the agents, and the owners, there's going to be loopholes in this to get, and especially I. And what's the appeal of a big market is that it's a big market. I think the most impactful thing is um, the exceptions they put in for teams to compete and penalizing teams that go over the tax limit their ability to be able to use some of their exceptions as well. I know there's some things on that. At the end of the day, it's going to still come down to the same thing. Can you keep your stars in your building? Can you be a competent organization? Can you put support and development around these guys to make them want to stay? Because if a player doesn't want to stay, you can give them 10 years on a contract. They're going to leave. For the teams that know how to do it right, um, this does make it a little harder to, you know, pay all your guys and still feel the competitive roster. I, I just feel like every time the CBA gets updated, players and agents and teams adjust to it. It's just going to be in different ways. But interesting point. Let's keep an eye on the coaching aspect of this because I feel like that is going to open up a new Pandora's box of, okay, I can't pay within the CBA. What can we do outside the CBA to make this an appealing thing? Maybe we'll see a thing where coaches start moving around like players do where it's like, a coach gangs up with another player with a player to go uh, meet up somewhere. <laughs> and that's where they go try to compete. That's always been a thing. It's always confused me that, especially in the NBA and the NFL, where I think coaching matters even more than, for example, Major League Baseball, that this hasn't happened long before that. They, they add all of these guys and staff. You're, you're like adding all of these assistant coaches. But as we know with the Rockets, it's about the head coach. It's not about all these assistant guys. So it's a big deal if you can go out and spend money that's not big money when you're looking at some mid-level guy but it's big money for a guy that's a head coach to, to get that kind of money. we see college basketball all the time college mm -hmm. football but for some reason the nba and the nfl don't feel like coaching matters as much and i've never gotten that but also the new deal I want to throw this out there they've added another two-way roster spot which is not a major headline makes a big difference though if you're the rockets who need to continue to develop players the rockets two-way contracts over the last two years have been Anthony Lamb. We know what happened with that. Dacian Nix, yeah. uh, Trevlin Queen, Darius Days, and Trevor Hudgens among the last like couple of years. Over the years, though, Frank, we've seen two-way roster players around the league like Austin Reeves, Alex Caruso, and Jose Alvarado. And um, I think Jordan Poole was a two-way guy for some time on the Warriors. Um, yeah, it's it's important. And if, if you guys don't remember uh, the whole Daniel House situation and how the Rockets try to thread the needle with that, it helps with the, especially for us. I think in general, the CBA has looked to, a lot of teams are re, in the rebuild process as these stars start to age out. So they're trying to find ways to keep these young players coming in in market and allow teams to develop these players and keep them and have that homegrown talent. Because if you think about it from a collective NBA standpoint, it's better for each market to have their guy because the, the fan base is more enthused. There's more support. People go to the games. Like imagine if Giannis left Milwaukee and went to, you know, LA or something like that. So that's a market that just dies, but because he stayed in Milwaukee, that's a vibrant NBA market for uh, that the, the league could look at. So I think as a business model, all those little things are doing to make build stars and, kind of uh, captured this moment where there's so much talent in the NBA and, and they're trying to uh, breed that there. But to me, at the end of the day, you still can't shortcut. Like this doesn't mean that Tillman Fertitta and the GM for the Rockets, whoever that's going to be, whether Stone or somebody else, can just chill now and say that, well, yeah, we'll just give him a five-year contract. 
we'll do this, we'll do that, and everything is going to be fine. You still have to be on your P's and Q's. You have to do all the dirty work, support these guys, give them a good coach, give them a shooting coach, uh, have good high, you know, high quality facilities, have all the resources and the bells and the whistles and the on-court production that allow these really good players to want to stay there. I'm hoping that all of that gets turned up as we go into this coming season because we're getting to a point where Jalen's contract is going to be in, in uh, discussions. Shangun's contract is going to be in discussions. Then a year after that, it's going to be Jabari's contract. It's going to be Tari's contract. It's going to be that class's contract. And then making decisions on who stays and who goes, a lot of it is going to be based on their experience they're having right now. And I would hate for us to be a bad team next year and a team after that, and we end up losing one or two of our players because they don't feel like the franchise is serious about winning or competing. Yeah, I, I just want to speak to the two-way contracts for just a bit because I did throw out some names that the Rockets picked up in the last couple of years. And when you look at somebody like Dacian Nix or you look at somebody like Trevor Hudgens, and you know he was a great shooter, great, incredible shooter in college, uh, low-level you know, player, but great shooter. But the athleticism is what separates you in the NBA. And, and unless you're Steph Curry and you're shooting three-pointers from 30 feet, you got to figure out a way to get open as a small guy, and that was Hudgens' issue. Dacian Nix, we know his athleticism is not good. I mean, I, I don't understand why that's so difficult to see. He's terrible at finishing at the rim, and that's one of the things that you look for with athleticism. That's one of my real criticisms with the Rockets, Frank, is that you, you had this opportunity with giving guys two-way contracts, and you could run some more of them through here, and the Rockets have shown that, number one, they haven't been good at identifying those particular guys, and number two, I don't know if they understand the traits that you're looking for, because if you're not good at, at finding at finding guys that have good athleticism and they really aren't, because I think Garuba and Shangun, the real question marks with both of those guys are athleticism. Now, Shangun's skill might keep them in the league for a long time, but Garuba's lack of skill and lack of athleticism is going to be a real question mark for him going forward. You know, when you cannot dunk the ball or finish around the basket as a guy that's not particularly an outside threat, then that is an issue. And so, you know, this is the issue with the Rockets is being able to identify. It's easy to pick a Jabari because everybody knows he's the pick or a Jalen Green because everybody knows he's the pick. But when you screw up these more on edge moves, these little outer moves, that's the stuff that you worry about for Rafael Stone. Do you, do you have any feeling that he, he's in trouble at all in, in this offseason? Is there any part of you that thinks – He's going to get get canned here in the next couple of weeks. No, I don't think so. I think that it wouldn't make sense because it seems like they've set out a game plan and it's time to execute. But I do think that what whatever happens this offseason and this next season will determine his future. If he fails and whatever his phase two looks like, he should be fired. And a historical precedent is is not on the side of Coach Silas or, or, or Rafael Stone. Usually, honestly, most teams would have fired both of them by now. Whatever the huddle was before the rebuild started and what they're doing right now, they have a long-term plan and they're going to execute it. And yeah, we should give them the chance to execute it. But once the results come in, then uh, if the Rockets are a serious organization, they would move on because obviously you've, you, I won't say you've wasted because you've come out with some talented players out of it. Um, but if the Rockets aren't are bad next season, like, like bottom five bad, we are in a, a world of trouble and, and it, it falls squarely on the, on the feet of Rafael Stone. So I, I think he knows that uh, he's kind of made comments to that. He said he trusts himself. I don't trust him, but um, we'll see what he does, but he has, he has to really bring his a game. 
of this offseason. As far as like the talent, yeah, I think the Garubas, the Jacobs, the Ty Ties of the world, if you look around the draft, there have been more impactful players they could have picked um, with those later picks. Um, I think in the middle picks, the uh, Shangun and Tari Eason, I think those were good picks. And we'll see how they formulate going forward. I think the Shangun in particular was a really good pick. And I think Tari has a lot of upside to be a great pick. But those 20s, you look around at the different classes, there's a lot of quality guys that are lending to winning right now throughout the NBA that we passed on to get the guys that we have. But the, the caveat to all of this, even the with the uh, Garuba and all them, is Steven Silas is their coach, and the Rockets have been a terrible team these past three years, so it's really hard to judge what they mean to winning. That's well, I'm why- just going to point out, though, that I don't care who the coach is of Dacian Knicks. I don't care who the coach is Well, Dacian Knicks Garuba. wasn't drafted. Dacian Knicks wasn't drafted. Yeah, but I'm just saying saying that's a guy that has been on the roster, that's been there, that Steven Silas, there are nights when you you run out of guys. Guys get injured. We've had a a bunch of injuries with the Rockets. There have been, you know, times where, like, you you have to have a live body out there. Even Boban, as much as we've hated seeing him play, there there have been moments this year where it's like, well, you've got to play him. You have no choice. You, You run into injuries or guys miss games with suspensions or whatever. And that's about roster building. People do not think for some reason that guy 13, 14, and 15 on a roster matter. But the NBA is a long season. A lot happens. We've seen, you know, a lot as far as load management, whatever you want to say about it. I mean, that matters a lot. Brad. Yeah, but my, my point is that it depends on what your goal is. And I'm not defending Rafael Stone by any account. What I'm saying is that, okay, it matters in general, but for them, I guess it didn't matter. Now it matters. Now it matters going into next season. Let's see if Dacia Nix is still on the roster. And I do think the the Silas part of it is a big part because even though you have Dacia Nix on the roster, he shouldn't be playing 30 minutes but a night. Something tells me so, that it wasn't Steven Silas's idea to put Ty Ty Washington. I don't think it's just a Steven Silas. Like, hey, I don't care what you say, Rafael Stone. I want you to send Ty Ty Washington to the G League. Okay. And somebody made that decision. He has not been up for the last few weeks and he's missed quite a bit of the season being in the G league and not being. Oh yeah. That's the GM. Uh, Obviously that's the GM thing, but even within the tools that you're given, I've seen a lot of egregious things from the coaching staff. So, Oh, I'm not defending Steven Silas. I am just saying, let's be like, okay. Two things could be at Right. And I'm saying it is. Like I, I hear a lot of fans go, well, you know, Jalen Green, he's terrible at defense because it's, it's Steven Silence's fault. He's terrible at defense. No, not every Rocket on this team is terrible at defense. And when I say terrible, I mean just literally not trying. Like, uh, so, you know, when, when there is a, a transition basket to be had, Jalen Green literally doesn't try. He just kind of backs up and backs his way out of the play. He's like, you know, backing up, going sideways, whatever. You're seeing him on video. This is, you know, this is Jalen Green sideways trying to defend a guy that's coming straight at him, you know, I just get tired of that. Like Jalen Green is a problem, whether, you know, Steven Silas is part of the reason Jalen Green's the problem. I don't care because I see Jabari like try all the time. I see Tari Eason try all the time on defense. Now what what they're doing technically, that's a whole other issue. And that's maybe a Silas issue, obviously, or the coaching issue, but two things could be accurate. Uh, Steven Silas can be a problem and Rafael Stone can be a problem. And I, I think Rafael Stone is definitely a problem in that, he identified Dacian Nix as a guy that was an NBA player. He's not, okay? He's not. He's a joke, okay? I mean, to, with all deference to Dacian Nix's family, the guy's not an NBA player. It's nothing personal, but he's not. And, and, and that's the thing with Rafael Stone is, like, I don't know. And, I, and 
is he prioritizing shooting? Apparently not. Rockets don't have shooting. You know, uh, is he is he prioritizing athleticism? Apparently not. Dacia Nix, not not really athletic. Garuba, not really athletic. I don't think he's an athletic player. There's there's a lack of athleticism on this team in general. You know, outside of Jalen Green, who's top of the draft, or Jabari Smith, who's top of the draft. You know, or, or potentially Josh Christopher and, and and Kenyon Martin. Those guys he got a little bit later that were at, but there is a lack of athleticism in shooting. Yeah, it, it still goes down to what 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 goals are they trying to achieve now? Once again, I, I don't agree with their what uh, Rafael Stone's route has taken. But if this is their idea of like we're going to ensure that this tank is solidified or whatever, I don't know. Whatever it doesn't even matter because if their goals were to be the worst team ever, they've accomplished that. And whether Dacia Nix is a reason for that or it's uh, Frank Kaminsky being on the their vet on the roster. Now that they're saying they want to win, now I can accurately judge because everything else is just. Were they tank- tanking or is Stone just an idiot? Now we can see. He says, we're going to win. We want to win. I want to see what type of roster they're going to build. All of that said, you said, is there's nothing that's a lie about that. It's just that it's still like they're under their umbrella of our goal was to try to, you know, they're not going to say it out loud, but that was what their goal was to try to uh, secure the best draft odds. Now that we're here where that is not an incentive anymore, he has to show, and to me, that's why he's not going to get fired until after this, obviously, in this this season coming up. Now he can show, hey, I can build a roster. Now, if he comes out and it's a bunch of Knicks-type players and Trevor Hudgens is still our 13th player and he goes and signs some fringe center to come be the backup and he rehires Steven Silas, yeah, he's going to lose his job and, you know, that would be pretty idiotic of him. But I would like to see them under without the umbrella of quote-unquote tanking. So we can accurately and objectively say that okay you don't know what you're doing i don't trust him i don't think that he's shown anything to give us any kind of uh given the benefit of the doubt that he's going to be able to execute what they're saying that he wants to do but yeah he has the he's going to try and we're going to see it so i'm going to be watching that see what the roster looks like i think the first thing they have to do and i do think some of the effort stuff it does tie to coaching because then Jalen green shouldn't be on the court right i don't care what pick he is like he shouldn't be on the court if he's not going to give effort and if he can't get it, then that should tell the GM that maybe we drafted the wrong player. The first thing I want to see as soon as the season's over is I need that alert that says that the Rockets and Steven Silas have mutually agreed to part ways. Because there is no way that I see Rafael Stone banking his future as a GM on the fact that he's going to rehire or uh, exercise Steven Silas's fourth-year option and have him as a lame duck coach. And that's the guy that I'm going to trust that I keep, uh, I keep my job on. I think he's smarter than that. I think self-preservation alone is going to make him make better decisions. And I th- I'm hoping that some of the consultation around the Rockets improves as well uh, from other voices within the organization to say, like, we need to do this to win. Yeah, and I think him keeping around Steven Silas for another year, he bought Rafael Stone another year. That's my opinion. And I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that fully. Yep. What do you think of the in-season tournament? Just so people know the details, pool play starts in November in the upcoming season, then eight teams advance to a single elimination in December. The last two teams play an 83-game season. 83-game season. So not a shorter season, but a longer season, at least for those last two teams. But according to my math, you only play 80 games if you don't make single elimination part of the tournament. So what do you think about it? I like it. I've, I've, it's a bit soon. I, I'm not sure. It's like I, I would have thought they would have kind of phased into it or like had some more landing room for it. But I'm curious to see 
who's going to be up for it. Like, I think when people were discussing, it was supposed to be like the bad teams, their opportunity to like show like, Hey, we're the, maybe the, the best young team type of thing that gets into it. I don't know if the veteran players that are making 30, 40 million are going to care, but I'm sure there's some guys that don't mind the cash prize. It's like a million dollars for each player. Right. I think though, though, the, the, the games do count towards the standings though. Yes, they do. And I don't, it's just the, you know, like I've seen like in November, the Rockets just mail it in when they were good for the first like 20 games. And, you know, a lot of these good teams don't start playing hard till like January and close to the trade deadline or after the all-star break, then they, they kind of just cruise through. So who knows? You can imagine like a James Harden type. Well, he, he actually likes playing a lot of basketball, so he might care, but it's going to be, I'm going to be curious. Does a Kevin Durant care about that? Does uh does Steph, does LeBron in year 50, whatever he's going to be in next year care about this in-season tournament. What I mean, care, they might play the game, but do they care if they win or lose? Our coach is going to be playing guys 40 minutes to try to get the prize. There's going to be a gradient of teams that really, really do put a lot of stock into it over the years. What I'm hoping it becomes is like the on the come up bowl. Like who's who, who's a young team that's going to make some noise? Can the Rockets, like we were this season, beating the young, the good teams, can we get up for four or five games to show the NBA that, hey, this team is on the come up? So, I can see teams like OKC carrying. I can see the Pelicans of the world, Indiana, maybe the Kings, some type of teams coming in. But I just don't see like for the real veteran teams that are have championship aspirations. Yeah, they might like they'll just play like a regular season game. And I don't I don't know if the superstars are going to be like, oh, man, I got to win the end season. Well, well, the question, though, isn't are they going to care about winning an end season tournament? The question is, will they care more about this than just your average whatever game in November and December. That's to me, that's really what you're talking about. I mean, that's a good point. That's a good point. That's a good way to put it. I think the money isn't a good incentive. I mean, I don't care how rich you are. A million dollars is a million dollars. And uh, so, you know, there might be some guys, hey, go take your lady out on a really, really nice vacation if we get this extra bonus for uh, for doing it. It'll be interesting. I think we're not going to know the answer to this for another like three or four years because you know how these things start. Like the, um, the Elam ending in the All-Star game. It started off really good. Then over the years, the players just stopped caring. Like the last All-Star game was terrible. And so I think it, it might start off like, oh, wow, everybody's excited about it. If it's sustained for three, four, five years and it becomes a thing, I wonder what that is. And I wonder if it's something substantial that is actually adding more to the games or is it just like, oh, my God, we're watching like the NFL Pro Bowl again with this thing where Denver is going to sit Jokic out because it's on a, you know, they just don't want him to get hurt or something like that. But I'm curious. I do like it, though. I, I get the idea of trying to make something, make the season meaningful before the All-Star break. I'm also interested to see our, our team's going to load manage guys during the tournament. <laughs> That's, <the other> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like, what are they really going to like? Is it going to be a thing like you're building up to it and they're just like, you're not going to play two games before. It, I'm curious. I think the first year should be interesting. I, I want it to be good. I wonder what they can do to make it. They should hype it up as much as they, uh, as much as they can have the TV coverage. They should maybe treat it like the damn finals. <laughs> have ABC do it. And uh, they're talking you, about putting you know, the, the final four in Vegas and maybe that'll be you know, an added incentive for the players that are playing. Oh yeah. I, I kind of would like to go to Vegas for a couple of days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, Hey, let's, let's make it something. The NBA has to invest in the pageantry of it. Um, I know the all-star game is, is like, to me, I'm, uh, I, I would never, if they do that again, I'm never watching an all-star game, but I'm really excited for it. I think the CBA and co like collectively overall, 
they've done a lot of good things for the NBA's long-term uh, future. And I'm glad they were able to work that out. Nobody wanted a stoppage in play. I think uh, this, the last one focused on the old guys. This new CBA is more focused on youth, uh, kind of taking care of the younger and the middle class of uh, NBA players and making sure that they are taken care of. And a lot of young players and fringe players get the opportunity in the league to have good careers. So, you know, kudos to them for doing that. Are you okay with the positionless all-NBA teams? Like you can have uh, five centers uh, or five point guards on the all-NBA first team? Ah, uh, man, I, I, you know, I've heard uh, different podcasts about that. I do like positions. I think they could have met a middle ground where they have position groups where you can categorize maybe front court, back court, or, or, you know, a pool of forwards, pool of centers, pool of guards, or wings, you know, something more generic than point guard. You need one point guard, a shooting guard, a power. Like they could have done that. I, the position list stuff is kind of weird because like the all pro team in the NFL is to me like it's a team, right? It's not the, just the top five players. They should just call it the top five award then. This is the top five, top 10, five through 10. All pro team or all NBA team is a team. And um, I haven't seen a team of five centers yet. Um, I know Toronto uh, had the all wings lineups, but they always usually had a point guard and some people function in different roles. So to me, where you play does ma should matter to it. I'm not mad at it, but uh, I think it's short-sighted because I know what the NBA is looking at is a lot of these good players are almost positionless, like Giannis. Is he a center? Is he a forward? Is Jason Statham a power forward or a small forward? Is Jalen Brown a, a three or a two? Is all these combo guards, is Steph a point guard? Is Luka a power You know, is he a forward or is he a well, – so they, it's a lot of hybrids. They, it's down on, to, so. to guards in a group. What we've got right now is guards. So you don't – it doesn't have to be a point guard in an we, – we're away from that whole idea. So right now yeah. we have guards, we have, we, we have forwards, and we have a center. Now could you make it – uh, front court and back court, yes. But what about somebody like just? I'll give you an example. If Jalen Brown, you maybe you want to put him in a in a guard spot because he does play some guard, and you want to have that flexibility because that guy can be a guard. You know, he's a wing. He could be a guard or a forward depending on who your best five are. That's where it gets really difficult for the voters. Is like, yeah, I, I like Jalen Brown a lot, but I want to have Tatum and Kevin Durant. And Joel Embiid on, on my first team, but I want to be able to move Jalen Brown to a guard position because maybe the guards are down this year with, you know, them not a lot of guys not playing as, as many games as they have in the past. So that's that's the real complication of like trying to move around position groups because some of these guys are so much hybrid. We've seen Anthony Davis. Is he a power forward? Or is he a center? We, like it, it's it, from year to year, yeah. it always varies. You could still, I mean, like Jalen, I, I just looked this up yesterday. He's played um, over 50% of his reps at small forward. So, and like 36% at shooting guard and like 1% at point guard. So he's a forward. That's, that to me is pretty clear cut. I think they could have done better to maybe on the back end define the criterion for placing players instead of it being kind of this vague thing where it's like, oh, is he okay? Just say, hey, we can do percentages of uh, your positions. Like, what are you playing at on the court? What percentage of time are you there? That's what you're going to be determined at the majority. So if Anthony Davis plays 51% at center, he's going to be center that season. If you play 51 at power forward, so on and so forth. I just feel like the the, the team part of it is where I get lost. Um, if, if we're going to do like all NBA team, then it should be a team and a, like a real basketball team. I know basketball is vague now, but regardless of what you call people, they still fit into somewhere on on a court as a on and their function. They're going to function in a role. 
there's always going to be a center function. There's always going to be somebody as, as a four, uh, um, a forward and a backcourt. Now, what I do like about it is what you brought up as far as finding guys uh, that deserve to be there, that have two, maybe you have the two of the best players in the league play the same position. So you get into those type of things, but that's what makes it hard. I think that's the fun part of these teams is, hey, you got to make a choice. And that's where you get down to the details of why this power forward is better than this power forward or why this point guard is better than this point guard. And to me, that's why the voters are selected. You're supposed to be an expert in what you do. So uh, use your expertise and make a selection uh, and tell the other guy, sorry, just be better next year than this guy. So I, I don't mind it. I'm not going to die over it, but uh, you know, I think it's kind of short-sighted. Well, we also need to quit tying these all NBA so, yeah, that's up to contracts. I mean, that's to, a- to money. That's kind of weird. I don't, you know, I, I, why that wasn't addressed by the CBA and the players union is, is a mystery to me. I don't know if that, what they're trying to accomplish with that, but it is a conflict of interest of the of the highest level to me to have writers determine the financial incentives for players and contra- contractual outcomes. It's just crazy. Yeah, overall, I mean, I've got no issue with the CBA. I just, I'm telling you that the games, you know, they they're doing the tournament and all this stuff, but the bottom line is the games needed to be shortened so there's more value to these regular season games I get that the tournament, there's some value to the tournament now or whatever, but the games need to be shortened because I do not think that the injuries and the load management ever goes down. And for that, I think you just, you're losing fans and you're losing fans and you're losing fans. If they can't see the best, the reason we're watching the NBA is we want to see the best players. We want to see the stars. And when the stars can't play, it's terrible for the fans and it's terrible for the sport. Yeah. And it'll be, I'm, I'm kind of glad that some of these teams that have low manage are suffering from it now as the playoffs come around. Um, I think what is good for load managing is having uh, uh, even distribution of talent and competitiveness across teams. So it makes it, you get punished for that when players, everybody's pretty good. And that's one thing I've liked about this season that teams are, are penalized. Like I like that the Lakers lost when they sat Anthony Davis <laughs> to the Rockets. Like that's what you get. Um, I like that all these teams that try to do that, they get punished for it, and especially they're vying for position. And, um, you know, it was okay when it was like three teams, then everybody else is pretty bad. And there's like three clear teams in the West and two in the East that are going to be the championship favorites. Now in the West where it's, it goes six, seven deep and anybody could knock off anybody, you can't really afford to load manage as much. So I think that's going to correct itself. I think also collectively the talent around the league is just, it's just growing and there's going to be an, an infusion of talent that keeps coming in. And as these players develop, and I think that's what the NBA kind of foresaw and some of the moves they've made is to cultivate homegrown talent throughout the league. I think, uh, um, you know, load managing is going to take care of itself. It's going to take care of, but the extended games, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise for me, uh, but I'm sure the players also didn't want, because I don't think the owners are going to uh, make the uh, adjustment to increase their individual game pay uh, if you're going to shorten the games. So I, I'm sure there, that was also in consideration. Guys do get paid on a game-to-game basis. The Rockets' chop shop will not take off with the offseason. Uh, uh, Frank will continue to come in. <laughs> so go check out Rockets' chop shop on YouTube. We've got some big stuff coming up. we got potentially a new head coach, God willing, coming up pretty quickly. <laughs> uh, we're only a few weeks away from the lottery, so I know that is going to be a discussion once the, the lottery happens. And then – you start looking at the bigger moves and the rumors and the 
everything else that's going on this offseason as we look forward to it. And uh, so it's it, 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 it will it, we, we will be busy here for the next few months, Frank. It's not stopping. <laughs> yep, it's an exciting offseason, probably one of the most pivotal ones in the last 25 years for the Rockets. So, um, yeah, uh, no sweat for the for Rafael Stone. He's just he's going to decide our, our franchise's direction for the next decade. So we'll see how they do. Yeah, we'll see how they do and pray for Victor. We'll talk to you later, Frank. All right, brother. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Hey, don't forget to support us by subscribing and commenting on YouTube. You can always listen to us on Spotify, Apple, or your favorite podcast app. Tell your friends about us and share our show links on social media. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening.